Take your Bibles, turn with us to chapter 5 of the book of Romans. We have two weeks left on what's going to be the first part of a three-part series on the book of Romans. We're going to take it in chunks of about five to six chapters at a time, and we're going to finish next week at the end of chapter 5, take the next two weeks to look at that. And while you're turning or finding it on your app on your phone to Romans chapter 5, let me just tell you that um, I, I was thinking this week about a commercial from the 80s that has stuck with me. Now, I don't want to think about how long ago that's been. But sometimes things just kind of stick with you. And there was this commercial in the 80s that I remember, and I went back and watched it this week to see if I remembered it correctly. And it's amazing. I almost remembered it exactly. It's a story of God's at an airport, and it's frustration you can see. And um, they, they get the idea that the airline, airlines have canceled the flight that he was on. And he's frustrated by it, but he goes to the counter, and the lady says, Well, all we have is this as long as you've got that. And he has that, and he gives it to her, and she books a flight for him. And he gets there, and when he gets there, there's a car waiting for him. And in that process, he needs cash to pay for the car, and he uses a card to get cash at that time and then he goes and he the end scene of it is that he sits down next to a lady in what looks like a theater seat and as he sits down next to the lady in the theater seat he says did i miss it and she says no they just began and he said where is she and she points and she says she's in the bumblebee costume And it's a dad who has done everything he can to get home to see his daughter in a play at her school. And then the tagline comes up, all made possible at, I'm sure, extravagant costs by American Express. And then the tagline, which was, membership has its privileges. Anybody remember that tagline? I mean, I know none of our youth are going to say that. All right, thanks, Bobby. I see that hand. Bobby and I are on the same page, all right? Membership has its privileges. In chapter 5 of the book of Romans, Paul's going to tell us justification has its privileges. These are the benefits we get because of what he's described before. In fact, chapters 1 through 4 has been God fulfilling or Paul telling us about the fact that Paul that God fulfilled his saving promises through the death and resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ for both Jews and Gentiles and that through faith we have access to being called completely righteous being justified the best way that I have said to remember that word is justified is just as if I had never sinned God looks at us and says you are clean you are right you are holy you are righteous in my sight because of what Jesus Christ has done and chapters 1 through 4 shows us how that came about from the fact that we were dead in our sins no hope at Jesus came and because of what Jesus did on the cross because of his resurrection from the dead, we have the ability through faith to be saved, to be justified with God. And in chapter 5, he, Paul, starts to say, and here are the benefits of that. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore... We're going to stop there for just a minute. Now, I promise we're not going to do this with every word for the entire 11 verses. 
Okay? One writer has said that the book of Romans is the story of four therefores. There are four therefores in the book. The first one comes in chapter 3 that basically says, Therefore we are convinced that you cannot be saved by the law or by works alone. You can't do anything for yourself. We have this one that, you can go ahead and put that next slide up, that says, Therefore since we have been justified by faith, the therefore is related to that. You also have one in chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 where it says, We ask you in view of of God's mercies, therefore, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And it really is a progression of what's happening. You have the first, therefore, the law cannot save you. Secondly, but Jesus can justify you through his blood and his death and his resurrection. And therefore, we have no condemnation in Christ. We have been completely set free. And therefore, live your life as if that is true. It is the gospel and for therefores. And so this one is important because he's saying, based on our understanding of what God did for us in justifying us, this is the result of that. And so it goes on and says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Of God. He goes on to say, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces character that's proven, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will someone die for a good person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have been justified by his blood, will he be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. Praise be to God. This is not a hard passage to outline. It's not a hard passage to preach. It is straightforward and it gives us, for me today, I'm going to give you four privileges of justification. And the first one is right there in verse 1. We have peace with God. Peace with God. There are a couple of things about this word. First of all, most of the time when we talk about peace, do you have peace? Do you have inner peace? As we're talking about a feeling. We're talking about an emotion. We're talking about something that has been lifted to us. We're talking about something that just calms us and assures us. And that's implied in this passage for sure. Terry York and I had the privilege of visiting with Glenn this past week. Glenn's doing well. He's recovering I get asked a lot about Glenn. I told Glenn that, and he's hoping to be back in the next few weeks to be able to tell you how he's doing himself. 
But Glenn talked about a particular incident in the hospital, and he was talking about praying to the Lord about it and about a decision that they had to make. And he said, there was a time, Pastor, when just all of a sudden I was praying about it, and I just felt a peace from God in that moment. He said, I don't know how to explain it. And I said, you don't have to, Glenn. It may be different for you, but we've experienced that moment. And I do think that there's some of that in this phrase here that we have peace with God. But that's not the emphasis. That's not the, what's really being brought home in this passage. Because for them, it wasn't an emotional understanding they were thinking about here. They were thinking about a reality in their lives. And it's not even just the absence of conflict. Right now, we're all praying for peace in the Middle East, that that God would bring peace into the situation and His salvation, and that God would work in the hearts and the lives of people that are there. We're praying for peace in Ukraine. And what we mean by that generally is stop the fighting or bring an end in a just way to what is happening. But this is more than just the absence of conflict, although that's there because later in this passage it'll say before Christ came into our lives, we weren't just distant from God. We weren't just not on the same page as God. It says that we were enemies with God. And so, yes, there is an absence of conflict. God has looked over our sins because of what Jesus, he has applied the righteousness of Jesus to us. And so, yes, there's an absence of conflict. But it means more than that. It's not just emotional feeling. It's not just the absence of conflict. What is in mind here for the, for the Jewish people that would have been reading this, for the Gentiles that would have been reading this, is the, the, the word that we think of as shalom from the Old Testament is this idea of a complete wholeness and a restoration of a relationship to its best possible form for the jewish christians that he was writing that would have been reading this they would have immediately thought of an understanding that jews had about the coming age that there's the present age and there's the age to come and in the age to come everything was going to be set right and god would reestablish a relationship with his people that was good and right and perfect. And so what is saying here is when Jesus justifies us because of his righteousness placed on us, when we accept the salvation that comes from him, we are made right with God. And that brings the absence of conflict. But more than that, it brings the closeness of a relationship. At the end of that Uh, of those verses in verse 11 it talks about reconciliation and that word means more than just we agree to disagree that means that everything has been made right by the way there's no other religion that has the concept that not only will god look over our sins or forgive us for our sins not only will god accept us as someone who can enter into his kingdom But in Scripture, it tells us not only has God forgiven us, not only has God accepted us, but God has adopted us. There's no other religion that has some kind of form where the God of the universe moves towards us and makes peace with us to the point that we have been adopted into his family. It's not a distant relationship. It's not an I'll turn the other way and not really deal with you relationship. It is an embracing of a prodigal God, embracing his prodigal son that has returned from the field far off and is giving him the blessings and the honors of being a son of the Most High. We have peace with God. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you felt like God didn't like you. Maybe you go, yeah, I know the Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I don't know that he really likes me. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that he loves you and likes you enough to send his son for you. And that if you are a child of God, it changes everything about your place in eternity. J.R. Packer once said on being God's child, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls our worship of Him and our prayers to Him and our whole outlook on life, it means we do not understand Christianity well at all. We are His sons and daughters and have peace with Him. Second thing, not only do we have peace with God, secondly, we have access to Him through grace. Verse 2 says it this way, We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So, so this is a kind of a different concept than when you normally think of grace, it means unmerited favor, and that is true. But there's a picture here that is being presented for us to understand that they would have gotten immediately. Because in their day and time, the, the kind of the, the lay of the land meant that most areas, most countries had monarchs, had kings, had rulers. And the picture that is here in these words and the way they're constructed is of someone being brought into the presence of the king and being allowed access where people normally aren't given access. But there's another portion of this. The way that that word is constructed in here really means and we have been introduced into the presence of the king. And so, I, I, I don't know, I've never been, anybody here ever been into a, meet a king or queen? No, I had neither, right? And I don't know what that's like, but I've seen, you know, movies. It's got to be true because it's in a movie sometime. Where someone's going to enter into the king or queen's um, domain into their reigning place into the realm and they will say your majesty I have with me Lyle Larson of Goodlettsville, Tennessee right? and you're ushered into the presence of the king the picture here is that we who are far off from the Lord have Jesus that has said and now dad I have for you Lyle Larson of Goodlettsville, Tennessee you may enter into the presence of the king. It's not just that we have, yes, we have grace, but we have access to the God of the universe. Look, Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And here's what I love about this word. When it says that we are giving an introduction into the king, the, the word is in the present tense in the original language, which means it is an ongoing, ever-going action. And so the picture here is that forever and always, Jesus is reminding God or saying to God, hey, here's Lyle. Hey, Lord, here's Lyle. Lyle, Lyle has access. Lyle, he, Lyle is able. Lyle is here. Over and over and over again. It's not a one-time visit. It is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year until time is no more. And then it still keeps going. 
What are the privileges of justification? Well, first of all, we have peace with God. Not only that, not only has the relationship been made right and that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, but we also have access to the throne room of the God of the universe. And then he throws one in that's a little like, okay, so what's going on here? This doesn't sound at first like a privilege. He says, not only do we have peace with God, not only do we have access to grace, but also we can rejoice in suffering. Look what it says starting in verse 3. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. The, the book of Romans, I told you last week, is there's all kinds of themes about what we boast in, what we brag about, what we put forth as important in our lives. And he says that we boast only in the Lord Jesus, but here he says we also boast in our afflictions. Now Paul in the rest of his writings would make it clear that because when we when we live in our afflictions, when we are going through suffering, when we're going through difficulty, it is at those moments that we are most closely aligned with God's sacrificial act in His Son, Jesus, for us. That we are participating in the sufferings of Jesus and that someday, just as Jesus suffered, so we will be raised like He was. We know, he says, and this is the reason that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given it to us. He says that you can see this progression that is happening here. When he says afflictions, by the way, that is the word that is common for everyday, ordinary difficulties. Yes, it means the most difficult things that we might walk through. Yes, it means a, a, an unknowing of what the future may hold, of a, of a relationship breaking up, of, of difficulty happening in our families. Yes, it means medical problems. Yes, it means um, having financial issues or losing a job and not knowing what is next. Yes, it means... Worldwide pandemics and wars and rumors of world, but it also means frustrating things that happen in our lives that may seem small to other people. The word afflictions here is all inclusive of anything in our lives that may cause us stress or discomfort or pain or hurt or just be something that bugs us. And he says that if we walk through that with the right attitude, then pain, suffering, difficulty, what happens is that it produces in us endurance, patience. And that endurance and that patience, if we handle the struggle correctly, helps to develop in us proven character. Not unproven character. The picture here is literally of something that has passed through the fire. And as it's come through the fire, it is now free of impurities and ready to be used. And once we live in that, un, in that proven character of God, we live in the hope that God is going to restore all things, knowing that the present sufferings that we have are nothing compared to the glories that are coming for us. You see, his reality is that he is saying that when we have been justified, we know that whatever the world throws at us is nothing compared to the victory we have in Jesus, both now and forevermore. D.A. Carson is famous for saying that there is not anything in life that I could suffer that a good resurrection can't fix. 
And what happens when we face difficulty, if we handle them correctly, is it drives us to Jesus. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday over the phone, and a friend of mine in ministry that has gone through some difficulty, and he said, Pastor, I never understood how hard life can be when it's required to drive you to Jesus. And I thought about that because this week, just in preparing for this message, I came across all kinds of all kinds of different quotes and sayings about that. For instance, there's this quote from Robert Smith Jr. It says, When faith is stripped to the bone, no marrow, no tendons, no muscles, no fat, no gristle, and all our props and crutches are gone, our faith in God that He is good and is still on the throne is the only thing that will keep you going. Or this quote from Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, who said, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. What happens is God works in us to drive him to him. And as we live in him and as we seek him and as we understand him and as we read his word, what happens is he begins to transform us into the likeness of his son Jesus. And our proven character brings out hope in us that no matter what people bring against us, it cannot faze us because of the God that we serve. And it makes us better people. Martin Luther said this, I credit the devil the Pope, and all my other persecutors with my deep knowledge of the Word. Through the devil's raging, they have turned me into a fairly good preacher, driving me into the gospel to depths I never would have reached without their afflictions. Now, if you know Martin Luther's history, when he says the devil and the Pope of his day, he's not speaking in general of all of all time, but in his day, that was the same idea for him. Afflictions, difficulties are opportunities for us to grow in our understanding of Jesus and to understand that it's temporary. Because the last privilege of justification is that we will be saved from eternal punishment. This is what it says in the rest of these verses. For while we were still helpless, I want you to notice the progression here of us While we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for us, the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that we were still us, sinners. So just in those verses, helpless to ungodly to sinners. Verse 9 says this, How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if... While we were, us, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received His reconciliation. In that passage it says that we were helpless. The word there literally means unable to do anything at all. And that is about our sin problem. We could not move towards God. We could not seek God. We could not find a way to work our way back to God. But while we were helpless, God came. While we were ungodly, that word means that we weren't even thinking about or looking towards or going after the things of God. We had so been skewed in our thinking that we were not even thinking about how we could be saved. 
Then God came to us. The word sinners there literally means one who has decided not only that they're not thinking about how to get to God, they are actively pursuing a life outside of God, outside of the faith, away from Him. They are walking away from the Lord. They are living their own lives in their own way for their own glory. They are sinners. And so we have moved from not able to do anything about it to not caring to do anything about it to actively engaging in sin outside of God. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then it says we are enemies. It's not just that we have walked away from God and that we're actively pursuing our own lives. We are now actively working against God. We are going against Him. And it says that all of us, every one of us in this room, outside of Jesus Christ, as we were growing up, while we were in our sin, before Christ saved you, if Christ has saved you in this room, before that, we were people who were helpless to do anything on our own. We were people who were ungodly and not seeking God on our own. We were sinners who were actively pursuing things outside of the Lord's will. And we were working against the plans of God. And yet, while we were yet uh, helpless, while we were yet ungodly, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us and reconciled us to Himself. He came for us. And because of that, He says, if God was going to do that while we were sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies, while we were helpless. If God was doing that then, how much more, now that we have been accepted and have been adopted into his family, how much more is he going to protect us from the wrath of God that is coming on the sins of the world? If he did it when we were enemies, what's he going to do for us as sons and daughters? Praise be to God. Jesus is in our place. He has satisfied the demand of God for perfection and He has absorbed the wrath. The picture, and I got this this picture from J.D. Greer years ago, but it just echoes in my mind. The picture that I get of what God did for us and absorbing the wrath that was coming on us because of our sin rightfully on us is this picture of someone who is standing at the edge of a valley And a dam has broken on the other side of the valley. And there are tons of water coming at you. And at the last moment, right before that water is to hit and envelop you, a trench is opened up inches from your feet. And it is wide enough that all the water diverts underneath you and not a drop touches you. That is what Jesus did for us, although the trench was cross-shaped. When he absorbed the tons of wrath coming from me because of my sin. So what do we do when we've been hit in the face with the privileges of justification? Three things, these aren't going to be on the screen, but these are our three walkouts today. I don't mean walkout when I finish saying we got a couple other things, but these are what we're taking with us. First of all is shout for joy. Give praise to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. One of my favorite things about researching this passage is, as I was looking through it, I, I read like three or four different commentators that talked about the, the and I don't know how they get this, I, I'm not skilled enough in the original languages to get this, but those that are talked about that when you're reading this, the way it is written, the way it is put, it's almost like Paul is writing excitedly, almost as if someone said, he is speaking with joy. Or one person said, he is joyfully singing at the top of his lungs what we have because of justification. 
Now, I know when you read your Bible, the emotion's not there. I wish there was emotion there or we could see it. You know, I mean, maybe emojis would have been good for the Bible at times. I like to see the excitement and what's going on here. But Paul is writing in a way that he just can't wait to tell them. Now, because of that, look what we get. And we ought to be shouting for joy about who God is, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. So shout for joy. Secondly, live in the freedom of being a son and daughter of the Most High. Quit worrying all the time about what's happening in your life or how bad you've been or if God likes me or not. He has proven His love again and again and again. Live in that freedom. And then the last thing is this. Proclaim the truth. Tell people. Listen, these are the privileges of justification and Christ desires for all to come to know Him as Savior. But how can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear if no one goes to tell? And how can someone tell if they're not sent? It's our job to take the gospel across the street and around the world. So do that. Shout for joy. Live in the freedom and proclaim the truth. There's one other application, and that's if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. These benefits, these privileges aren't yours. But unlike the American Express, you don't have to have a credit rating of a certain level to get this. It's free for all and any who would accept it. And today, if you're here and you've never been saved, today is an opportunity to do that. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And Jeremiah is going to come and lead us again. And as we sing in that moment, it's an opportunity for you to come. And ask questions. Give your heart to Jesus in this moment or begin that process of asking what that looks like. I'll be down front. Noah will be down front. We'd love to have a conversation with you. It's also an opportunity for those of you that are believers in this place to come and pray, to give thanks, to shout for joy in the midst of what God is doing for you, to pray for strength and endurance and patience and perseverance that produces character in you during times of difficulty, or to pray for someone that's going through it. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then when I finish praying, we're going to have a time of response, and I'm just going to ask you as we sing, to respond however the Lord leads you to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed with gratitude, with the reality of the privilege which we have through justification that you provided for us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their Savior, that does not know you as their Lord, that has not experience salvation, that today would be the day, Lord, that they can be assured forevermore that this is it. It's done. You have declared them righteous. You have declared them accepted. And you have declared them family because of what Jesus did for us. And so Lord, I pray if there's someone's confused about that or wonders about that, that today they would just come. Lord, I pray if there are those here today that maybe have had that happen in their life, they've accepted you as Savior, but they've never 
followed in baptism, Lord, that today that you would just give them the strength and the courage to say it's time for that. Lord, and for those that just need to come for prayer or just to pray, Lord, that you would guide them in this moment. More than anything, Lord, we want to be faithful and respond correctly to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.